Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Last time I, I, um, I nearly saw Carl was at New Wine right um, down south in Shepton Mallet and I was speaking in the first week and Carl was speaking in the second week. But when you go to New Wine to log on their Wi-Fi, you have to put in your email address and your age range. Well, two days before New Wine, I was 55. And so I, ha- I went from the age range, which sounds okay, 45 to 54, to the age range that sounds really old, 55 to 64, and to tick this box with gritty teeth. And I remember sitting there thinking a new wine, and forgive me if you're older than me, but uh, I remember thinking, I'm getting on. I'm 55 to 64. Life is short, and there's so much to be done, and heaven is long. Do you ever sit and think that? You know, and only what's done for Jesus will last And the only thing we can take with us is people. You know, it's the kind of thing that makes you want to have a go, isn't it? Rather have a go and fail than not have a go at all. And uh, my evidence and my testimony of the last 30 years of having a go, and Carl's right, very, very ordinary people and a very ordinary person. You know, I, I am boringly average. You know, I'm average intelligence, average height. Just about average weight, I think, for a 55-year-old bloke. Uh, I've got one wife and two kids and a driver Nissan and live in a semi-detached house. You know, boring. I think the only thing that's exceptional about me is passion. Because wherever I go, people say to me, you're a passionate guy. And I go, am I? I'm just me. And they go, no, you're really passionate. And uh, the good news is, of course, that it's the passionate people who change the world. It's not the most resourced, the sexiest, the best looking, the most talented and gifted. It's the people who are passionate, especially the people who are passionate about the things God's passionate about. Like the least and the last and the lost and his glory in this nation. You know, God's passionate about that stuff, isn't he? And when we touch on his agenda, we get passionate about the things he's passionate about. Anything is possible. Somebody said... Where work and pleasure and commitment truly come together. We reach that deep well called passion. Here, anything is possible. Imagine if your work and your commitment and your pleasure could come together and you hit that place where you're passionate about the things God's passionate about and you start to do impossible things. Well, that is my testimony, honestly. I mean, it's crazy, the the history of the Message Trust. We started almost 30 years ago out of a a business, myself, a manufacturing business. uh, We used to manufacture fashion accessories. That's even called leather ties with piano keys on fashionable. (laughs) They were once friends, and I'm ashamed to say we used to make them. And we made belts and bags and braces. And in the mid-80s, Lady Diana wore a pair of our braces. Um, and it was like every girl in Britain had to have a, have a pair. And we'd, so we ran out very fast of nice Christians to employ in our business. And our, our factory was in inner city Manchester on one of the toughest communities called Longsight. And um, so we, we took on a bunch of young men, dozens of them in fact, to make these braces. We had orders on for millions of pairs of these braces. And I'd have these phone calls from 
Dorothy Perkins and it, it used to be before Lady Diana wore a pair of our braces you know could we have uh, 500 pairs of braces uh, after, after the Diana effect it was could we have 40,000 pairs of those braces and I'd be going yes <laughs> faster and, but these young men we employed you know we had, had little recruitment um, policies and, and uh, we just uh, you know made sure they had two arms and two legs and gave them a job strapped them into a brace machine and they were a nightmare. Not only was the vandalism and violence and graffiti all over our factory, but there were regular break-ins and, and we also used to embroider fancy jackets and, and I would drive into work down the A6 and I'd be like, there's another one of our jackets. There's another one of our jackets. I'll kill him, there's another one. Because I knew they hadn't been bought from the local retailers. They'd been passed out of our skylight the night before. And we had break-in after break-in after break-in and... And uh, so we're like, this is crazy. Not only are these lads, not, you know, not only is there violence and vandalism and generations of unemployment and addiction and neglect in their families, but actually they know nothing of Christ. And my conviction was that the, the two things tend to go together. You know, in the Psalms, David asks the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? And then he answers his own question, doesn't he, by saying, by living according to your word. One thing's for sure, all these lads we employed back in the mid-80s, um, nobody was telling them the word of God in language they could understand. So we tried to find a church in Longsight that would uh, connect with these, you know, me and my brother are both Christians. We tried to find a church that would connect with these young men, couldn't find any. The biggest church in Longsight was about 50 yards away from our factory, massive big old Anglican building. And yet it had been closed down and turned into a, a knitwear manufacturer. And we used to embroider their jumpers and we would deliver the jumpers and where the pews used to be in this grand building in the middle of Longsite, uh, the knitting machines are rattling away. But the choir stalls were still there. And above the choir stalls, I kid you not, still there, it said, without a vision, the people perish. And it was like a prophetic word over Longsite. You know, 300, 400 years ago, some people had vision. I mean, you must have had vision back then to build a building like this. And the rector of that parish would have been given the cure of souls. His job was to minister to the whole community. So any needs in that community, through the power of the gospel and the power of the spirit, he was meant to reach out, not just preach on a Sunday, but minister to the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable. vulnerable. Somewhere that vision had been lost. And the building had been closed down and it really bothered us. And so myself and my brother arrogantly, naively came up with this dream. We're going to organise Manchester's biggest ever youth mission. We're going to book the biggest rock venue for a week and we're going to write to every church in Manchester. I mean, what kind of jokers were we back then thinking we could do this? You know, nobody knew us. We didn't have the gifts. We didn't have the experience. We didn't have the connection. All we had was, guess what? passion and uh, we had a heart and I love that verse in in 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 that says the eyes of the Lord range the earth looking for a heart and this morning the eyes of the Lord are ranging central church here in Edinburgh just looking for a heart anybody got a heart for God anybody got a heart for the youth of this nation anybody got a heart that things change well, get passionate then. Do something. Step out of faith. Get out of your comfort zone. It's what we did in the mid-80s. And uh, so we booked this rock venue for a week. We wrote to every church in Manchester. And amazingly, God turned up. 
And we went through the, you know, the roller coaster, seeing the finances come in, not, at the, not even at the 11th hour, 59th minute, like five past 12. And we're crying, oh God. But good, we saw, and we saw loads of young people come to faith and, and we saw ministries birthed and, and, you know, and we haven't been the silver bullet for mission in Manchester, but it, it was definitely the start of something. And shortly after that, I, I left the business and set up the Message Trust Charity, just me and a mate. In his spare bedroom, we, we downscaled our lifestyles and, and went for it. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. And we now have over 100 staff in Manchester and programs all over the UK. And we've just launched in, in Cape Town, South Africa. And we're seeing literally thousands of young people come to Christ. We're even seeing that beautiful thing that's meant to happen. Community transformation and take you to places where community's been transformed and it's, it's Christ and his gospel that's right at the center and, and we're seeing amazing things happen in prisons and in the most deprived communities because I have this sense that if we're going to see a, a new move of God in this nation, in Scotland, it, it, it probably won't start with the politicians and the pop stars and the business people. It'll probably start with the poor and the broken and the vulnerable. Always seems to be the way. If you track that through history, when God's going to do a new thing, it always seems to start with the least, the last, the lost. It's where Jesus started. And then it spills up and we all get blessed. So we're going for it all over the UK. And very recently, we've launched in Scotland. We've now got our first Eden team in a place called Parkhead. Parkhead is uh, in Glasgow. The average male life expectancy in Parkhead is 54 years of age. Can you believe that in this day and age? Worse than many, many developing countries. Just down the road there. And there's rampant addiction and brokenness. But actually God's on the move. And even last night people come into Christ and Parkhead. And, and God's doing something as we're working with our Eden team. A bunch of people who've moved in that community. Alongside this beautiful local church there that's got a vision. We're looking at our second Eden team very soon in a place called Drum Chapel. And we want to relentlessly roll out Eden teams, people who live in these deprived communities long term. We've just refurbishing, as we speak, an, a bus, an Eden bus, high-tech youth bus to go out into deprived communities. We're starting to recruit for a band, a schools band, who will go and proclaim the gospel and we want to do prisons ministry and, and we want to set up businesses in Scotland and, and we want to provide reintegration for people who could, who could never get a job otherwise who've met Christ. But we need more than that, don't we? We need people like you to catch a passion and a vision for this thing. Uh, John, who's our director, just stand up, John, Scotland director. He's, um, there's... There's a, the good news about John is he's not English. <laughs> the bad news is he's Australian. <laughs> uh, but, he, but he is a man with a real passion for this nation. And he's produced this video that I'd love you to see. And, and before we get into the word of God together, I'm just going to tell you how you can get on board as we try and um, birth the message right across Scotland. So watch this. message trust started with what we were convinced was a word from God through the book of Isaiah. In chapter 43, God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Do not perceive it. And over the last 20 plus years, we've seen God do so many new things through this charity. 
in schools, prisons and tough communities. We've seen multiple thousands of young people commit their life to Christ. We've even seen whole communities transformed. It's been amazing. But in this last year, we do sense that the whole thing is actually now going to another gear. Eden is on its way to becoming one of the most effective missionary sending movements to the UK. More people than ever are choosing to lay down their lives and move into forgotten urban neighbourhoods, bringing new hope and life. By the end of this year, we'll see a new Eden team planted every month and a fired-up new Eden worker moving into a tough community every two days. Politicians, police and local authorities are all sitting up and taking notice of our Manchester-based Enterprise Centre. As we provide jobs and mentoring to young people leaving prison, we're making a measurable difference in the pattern of reoffending in our society. Our businesses are growing and our centre is busier than ever. New apprentices are joining us every month to help keep up with demand. And this year, our plans for creative mission are going to a whole new level too. In partnership with local churches and other youth agencies, we're planning the biggest youth mission for a generation. Through intensive schools missions, follow-up by arena-sized gigs, we're aiming to preach the gospel of Jesus to around 2 million young people and dream of seeing 200,000 respond to Christ. That's a truly culture-shifting number of new disciples which would impact every area of our nation's life. It's called the Higher Tour and it starts in Manchester in 2016 before going region by region across the UK over the next five years. You might be thinking this all sounds a bit much, but in 2014 we've been blown away by how much God can do to ordinary people like us in 12 short months. Last year we told you about the launch of Message in South Africa. In a little over a year, Message South Africa has grown from two staff members to a team of almost 20, with its first Eden team, prison ministry, reintegration, a creative mission team, its first business and plans for an enterprise centre already in progress. We're learning that mission is about saying yes to God's invitation to join him on this amazing kingdom adventure. It's about hearing his call and saying, here I am, send me. We've been talking to local church leaders uh, behind the scenes for quite a few years now about the possibility of the message starting to work in Scotland in an intensive way. And uh, until now, it's never felt quite right. But there seems to be a bit of an open door and an opportunity where we can start to step up. We are not the silver bullet for mission in Scotland. That is not our heart. We're not going to parachute in. We're just looking to strengthen the arms of local churches who have been doing great work in community and bring some of the dynamic mix of creative arts, community transformation and Christ-centred enterprise over the next few years. So it's going to be an exciting journey. And right now we're inviting you to. There's never been a more exciting time to partner with The Message as we push forward on all fronts through Christ-centred enterprise, community transformation and creative mission. Would you stand with us, pray with us and give sacrificially to see all of this happen? This really is the most exciting adventure of our lives and everyone's invited. Okay. Yeah, so that's the message, Trust, and it's coming to Scotland and... Uh, to be honest, it's going to go in fast as far as God's people catch on with it. We need people who will pray for us. Please, uh, there's a form at the back on our stand that you can fill in. If you want to pray for us, regularly pray for us. This movement needs to move forward on its knees. We need people who will consider joining teams. 
If you could join an Eden team, seriously, consider moving into one of these deprived communities over the next years. We'd love to have a, a conversation with you. And we need people to give financially. And I asked Carl if it was okay to say this, and he encouraged me to, so I will. Um, we Absolutely, this thing can't run on fresh air. I'm not a millionaire. I ain't got the money for Message Scotland, but God's people have. And if over and above what you give to your local church, you were able to support the message, that would be amazing. And there's a form at the back on the stand that you can fill in to regularly support the message in these critical early stages. If you're able to do that, I'd love to give you a copy of my book. Um, we've only got one left though after West Hales last night. West Hales last night, so that's good news, but we can post you one. Or I can give you a copy of Matt Wilson's wonderful book about Eden called Concrete Faith. As just a little thank you. Um, so please will you visit the stand at the back, find the information. Please, if you, if you like the sound of this, cheer us on. Let's have people who pray. Let's have people who give. And let's have people who go as we, we look to see transformation come to Scotland. Lots of ways, Glasgow particularly, but even parts of Edinburgh, don't feel unlike Manchester 25 years ago. I remember going to see the Bishop of Manchester like the first, pretty much the first meeting when me and my brother had booked the rock venue for a week and written to every church and stepped out in faith for what would become Manchester's biggest ever youth mission. And the Bishop of Manchester said, well, all I can say is good luck to you. I've got 365 churches in my diocese and I can't think of one with a lively youth work. What a thing to say. And, uh, and yet the, the landscape is very, very different in Manchester. It's not full-blown revival, but the church is growing. And I've got the headlines. Youth recruits lift church gloom. And most of that growth is amongst young people. We don't have any large churches. Now we've got a bunch of churches who just push through the thousand. But it's not just a thousand people gathering on a Sunday. It's the fact that these churches are missional and engaged. And, and things are changing in Manchester we want more, but why not do it again, Lord, in Glasgow and Edinburgh and, and Dundee and across this great nation of Scotland? Well, we're going to have a go. And we've certainly got lots of passion. And you never know, maybe the Lord will be with us. And maybe his people will catch a vision for it. So um, anyway, enough said. I could spend the next hour, you probably gathered, rabbiting on, and then we'd run out of time and they'd, they'd heard me off and uh, I wouldn't have preached the word. So let's get in the Bible together, can we? And um, this morning I want to speak, um, well actually on two of the most famous passages, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you've been a, a Christian any amount of time, you will have, I'm sure, come across Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, um, very, very famous words. Um, let me read just a few to you. Isaiah chapter 61, because this is the, the prophet Isaiah speaking. 600 odd years before Christ, he said this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord's on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives, release from darkness for prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah said, the spirit of the Lord's on me because he's anointed me. And uh, when Isaiah said that, all those years before Christ, it was a big deal. A big deal to say, right now, I'm anointed by God, anointed by the Spirit of God, because before Christ, 
as perhaps you know, the Spirit of God came on a man or a woman for purpose, anointed someone for a specific purpose. And Isaiah saying, the Spirit of the Lord's on me as a prophet to preach good news to the poor. Isaiah was one of these guys who had this fresh and regular anointing to prophesy and preach. Imagine being the guy who has the anointing to proclaim the coming of Christ. Throughout the book of Isaiah, Isaiah tells us exactly what to look out for when the Savior of the world comes. Of course, not just Isaiah did it, loads of prophets did it. There are hundreds of prophecies throughout the Old Testament, you know, hundreds of years before Christ, all these guys saying, this is the family he'll be born into. This is the town he'll be born in. This is what his friends will do to him. Even down to, this is how he'll die, pierced through his hands and feet before crucifixion was even invented. Over 300 super specific prophecies about the saviour of the world as these prophets prophesied under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Nobody fulfilled more than two or three of those prophecies. Maybe there were guys who were crucified who were born into David's family. Maybe there were people who were born in Bethlehem who were betrayed by the friends. But nobody fulfilled more than two or three prophecies. One man fulfilled over 300. All sorts of prophecies you could never fix. What's his name? Now, come on, Central, what's his name? Jesus. Like some massive spotlight from heaven. He's the one. He's the one you've been waiting for. And under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah had this amazing privilege of prophesying the forthcoming Christ, the Savior of the world. And then he comes along and he fulfills every single prophecy. Beautiful, ain't it? That's enough to make me believe. That's enough to make me bow down and worship. But in the Old Testament, it's not just prophets and preachers who are anointed. In the Old Testament, we find people who are anointed with great strength. Samson was anointed with this extraordinary strength by the Spirit of God. It tells in Judges to fight lions and bring down buildings. A guy called Bazazel, Bazazel, was anointed with great artistry and craftsmanship, it tells us in Isaiah 35. David, the great king in the Old Testament, was anointed with the Holy Spirit for leadership and worship. In fact, interestingly, in 1 Samuel 16, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. That regularly happened to men and women of God before Christ. But the very next verse says the Spirit of the Lord departed from soil, from Saul. It could happen. The Spirit could leave you. It was why David's great cry at the time of his brokenness and appalling sin in Psalm 51 was, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David knew the Holy Spirit could leave a man of God. And he knew he was never going to be the leader, never going to be the king, never going to be the worship leader in the Never going to fulfill his priestly duties without the power of the Holy Spirit. But praise God, we don't live in the Old Testament. Don't we need to get a little bit excited about the days we live in? The last days of planet Earth. That we live post-Christ. Where we can know the permanent filling and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Are you glad about that, anybody? You know, it's now 20 to 12 Fortunately, I've not asked what time this service is meant to finish. But we'll be, I'll behave myself, don't worry. 
But 20 to 12, I'm meant to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know that, don't you? I'm not meant to look back, you know, 1987, I had this big experience in a meeting and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Right now, I'm meant to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because I leak. I need a constant filling of the Holy Spirit and I can experience it. Not just a constant filling of the Holy Spirit, but I'm meant to be moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's fascinating to fast track through history. Those 600 and odd years, Jesus arrives on the scene. There's all this palaver around Bethlehem. All, I mean, there's like dozens and dozens of prophecies. Boom, 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 boom. All fulfilled as Jesus arrives on the scene and a baby in Bethlehem. And then, apart from one appearance in the temple, there's pretty much silence for 30 years. Have you ever thought how frustrating that must have been for the angels? You know, they've all been like, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And they're all like, he's here. I've been waiting all this time and the savior of the world's around. And he, he goes off and starts making tables. You know, give us a break. But then timing is perfect. And it's time for Jesus to start to move. And the Bible says in Luke 4, just before he birthed his amazing ministry, he went into the desert for six weeks, scrapping with the devil and receiving that intimate, beautiful, out of that intimate, beautiful relationship with the Father, receiving his calling and, and uh, the Father's downloading all this amazing stuff, I believe, through his word as he fasts and prays and resists the devil. In Luke 4, it said he went into the desert, Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. A few verses later, he says he came out of, the, out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, I've got a sense that filling is for us here. You know, God fills us and deals with stuff and, and sorts our lives out and gives us his heart gives us fresh passions by the Holy Spirit. The power is out there. Do you need the power of God to live the Christian life in the office tomorrow morning? Do you need the power of God to resist sin when your wife's been a real rat bag and you're such a saint? You know, we need the power of God out there, don't we? We need the filling here so we can experience the power there. As Jesus came out of the, out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit, there was just this kind of God coincidence that happens to people who are moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was his time to read the scriptures. And guess what the set reading for the day was? As Jesus unraveled the scroll, the set reading was Isaiah 61. And the Bible tells us, and I've been to this little synagogue in Capernaum, tiny little place where Jesus read these words. But the Bible tells us the way Jesus read it meant that every eye was fastened on him. Everybody put their mobile phones down and stopped pretending they were taking notes and they're really checking out Facebook. And their eyes were fastened on Jesus. And there's something about the way he read those scriptures, written 600 plus years ago by Isaiah. There was something about the way he read them that was magnetic. The guy was dripping with anointing. He was truly moving in the power of the Spirit. I mean, how much would you give to have been there? It would cost you 700 pounds for the best tickets to see the Rolling Stones at the O2 Arena. I mean, a remarkable sight, these geriatric men jiving around on stage after all these years. Might even be worth 700 quid. 
But I mean, how much would you give to have been there? Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, reading the scriptures, all the little kids stopped playing with their toys, all the mums, this was their one opportunity to meet every week. All their attention was focused on this man. What was it? Was it the spirit of the sovereign Lord? He's on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I don't know what it was. But there was something about the way he read those scriptures that just captivated everybody in that place. And then he preached his sermon. It was 11 words long. It was the greatest sermon in the history of the world. In your hearing, these words are fulfilled. As they listen to Jesus, we're going to see a man. A man who's God come to earth. We're going to see a man who preaches good news to the poor, who binds up the brokenhearted, who opens the eyes of the blind, who announces the year of the Lord's favour. And for three and a half years, Jesus went out and did it. He just lived it. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And he gathered alongside him a ragbag bunch of unschooled, ordinary guys who journeyed with him. They believed he was the one. They'd read the Bibles they knew about all the promises. They saw what was going on. They saw the lame dancing and the dead rising and they heard the words that came out of his mouth. They knew what was going on. This is God come to earth. This is the saviors on the scene. They believed with a whole heart. But then the horror of the cross, they also knew that in the Old Testament, he said, cursed is anyone who's nailed to a tree. And they saw Jesus die this hideous death on a cross and surely he couldn't be the saviour after all. It had all gone wrong and they fled and they denied him and they betrayed him and they doubted him. But then he rose from the dead. He proved he really was. He died on that cross and if you don't know it, I'm here to tell you this morning, not just for those disciples but for you and for every person who's ever lived. And when he died on that cross, he took the full wrath of God against sin. He was punished for my sins. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for me and you can go too. The good news is I won't look like this in heaven. I kind of will look like this. It'll be me. You'll recognize me but you'll be like, Andy's looking good today. And the ladies will be going, Andy's got hair and a six pack. You know, it's like me perfects it. It's going to be a beautiful thing. I mean, get used to it. I'm going to be there for all eternity. Not because I deserve to be. Not because I used to rap for Jesus. Not because I've built a Christian ministry. Not because I'm a man of passion. None of that. Just because I've accepted what Jesus did on the cross for me. And I've given my life to him. And I've put him in charge of my life. And I want to follow him. Clearly not the man I should be. But I've done what's necessary to go to heaven. And you can do it this morning if you don't know Christ. And it will be the best day of your life by far. I promise you. After the resurrection... Jesus walked around for six weeks. Again, 40 days is kind of important in the Bible, but for six weeks, proving to the disciples that um, he was who he said he was, Savior and Lord. He, 500 of me preached to a, a, a meeting larger than this. He, he made breakfast from on the beach. He, he taught them and he spent time with them. And then he gathered them on a hillside and he said, boys, it's, it's time for me to go now. And the disciples are like, no way. 
you're not going, Jesus. It was bad enough first time. And Jesus said, no, it's better if I go now because if I go, I can leave behind my, my spirit. If I go now, I can leave behind my spirit. And my spirit won't just need to rest on one man here and one man there for purpose. My spirit can be poured out on all flesh, as was prophesied in the Old Testament. Every man, woman, and child can know the filling of the Holy Spirit. Every man, woman, and child can move in the power of the Holy Spirit permanently. You can know that. And he breathed on them like the breath of God and said, receive my spirit. And then he said these beautiful words that aren't just for the disciples, but for us today. He said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And here's how I'm sending you, by the power of the Spirit. Get out there. You preach good news to the poor. You bind up the brokenhearted. You open the eyes of the blind. You announce the years of the Lord's favour all across Scotland and beyond. Go on, you ordinary people. Go on, get out there. And guess what? They did it. These frail, inconsistent even at that last moment, the Bible says, it's comical in Matthew 28. Some of them were still doubting. You know, come on, boys. But Jesus then breathed on them and they were filled and they went out. And guess what? 2,000 years later, more people are going to come to Christ today than at any time since Jesus rose from the dead. All over the world, the Spirit is moving. I mean, we live in one of the, the sweaty bits of the world, or you do, sorry, where the Christian church isn't growing. And that can't be right. How can the land of the Bible be the one place in the world, pretty much, where the Christian church isn't growing? This tiny little bit of Western Europe, the fires of revival are blazing all over the world. And today, the 13th of September, is the most exciting day in church history. You know why? Because more people are going to discover life in Christ today than at any time since he rose from the dead. Surely that's got to get us passionate. We live in amazing days. Pretty soon, you know, the largest church in the world is going to be in China. In my lifetime. Well, as long as I live a bit longer than my dad, who died at 61. In the next 20 years, we're going to see the church in China. There wasn't supposed to be a church in China. It was meant to be crushed. But you can't crush the church because Jesus said, I'm going to build a church and hell itself isn't going to stop it. So the dark continent fires a revival, Africa. It's not dark anymore. Of course, there's terrible problems with poverty and there's all sorts of issues, but the church of Jesus is growing like wildfire. Go all over the world. Look what's happening in South America and Asia. One of the funniest things God's doing is amongst Farsi people. Everywhere I go, I see Farsi speakers who are coming to Christ. Iranians are jumping into the kingdom in Manchester like you wouldn't believe. Somebody's prayed. Somebody's sowed into those people. And their hearts are soft. All over the world, the Spirit's moving. This is an amazingly exciting day to be a Christian. Jesus breathed on them. And just to finish, I want to say this. Jesus breathed on them and anointed them to preach good news to the poor. And if there's one thing that I've been fired up about recently, 
is the need to preach good news. You know, we've been a ministry like so many other ministries that have been pouring our lives into the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized. And I'm all over so much of the good stuff the church is doing in this generation. I'm all over food banks and debt relief and businesses that we're, sending, we're setting up to provide jobs for unemployable young people. But if we don't preach the gospel, we've sold people short, haven't we? That's why we're organising these massive youth gigs. That's why I'm investing so much of my time. And, and this week I'll be meeting with a bunch of other evangelists to just multiply the gift of the evangelist. I'm gathering around me, young evangelists, because we've got to preach the good news. It's brilliant that we care for the poor, for the poor in our nation and the poorest of the poor around the world. But I feel like just recently, maybe there's been a, a loss of confidence in the power of preaching. Well, if you've lost confidence, I just want to introduce you to three people as we, we come into land and then we'll just see what God wants to do. I want to tell you about this girl. She's called Laura. For 18 years, she was a heroin addict. Three years, she was eating out of bins on the streets of Glasgow. And then team from Manchester went up and preached good news. She was literally dragged in off the street. All she had was a shorts, a t-shirt and a mobile phone. And she went forward in that meeting and gave her life to Christ. And the church said, where are you going to sleep tonight? She said, I've got nowhere to sleep. My boyfriend's battered me. I've been out on the street and, and uh, I've got no food. I've got no, nothing. They said, well, come home with us. And that night they bundled Laura up in the van, took her back to Manchester. When the church started to disciple her, we discovered that Laura, this girl whose life is an utter train wreck, is this amazing Vidal Sassoon trained hairdresser. You know, before heroin kicked in, before all that carnage, she's now full of the Holy Spirit and we give her a job. It's the easiest, easiest interview we've ever done because she's a booked out hairdresser now and, and she's married this guy, this guy called Cyril. Cyril had a personality disorder. He was told he'd never leave a mental institution. He's, he's got his arms are covered in cuts because he tried to commit suicide so many times and he was literally at one point in his life eating razor blades. He was so broken because of all the abuse and neglect. And then somebody goes to Cyril and said, come along to this meeting, Cyril. And he manages to get freed from his mental institution to go to a Christian meeting. He bows the knee and God heals him of a personality disorder. He was told he had a split personality. Now he's our, he's our caretaker and oversees all our building facilities at the message. And he's, a, he's in a raving evangelist. And a lot, he, came, he went up to Parkhead, back to Glasgow with Laura a couple of weeks ago. And, he, and one of the most precious texts was, just led a heroin addict to Christ on the streets of Parkhead. Cyril, I thought, get in. You know, out of your brokenness, suddenly you're moving in the power of the Spirit. Tell you about this guy. Jason. Jason was one of Manchester's most prolific repeat offenders. He's what's called a mapper. 12 of the last 13 years, until three years, three and a half years ago, 12 of the last 13 years he did in prison, multiple sentences. A mapper is multi-agency protection. So when you come out of prison, you've got 24-hour watch, police, social services, council, because they know you're such a nightmare. They know you're at the centre of drug dealing and criminality and, and you're leading people into all kinds of evil. So they, they watch you to try and get you back inside as quick as they can. Anyway, Jason came to the end of himself. Somebody shared Jesus with him and he, he, he decided, I've either got to give my life to Christ or I've got to die. 
He decided he was going to eat himself. He was going to stop eating. He didn't eat for two weeks. He's so broken, Jason. And then in the hospital wing, he thought, no, I can't die. I want to go to hell. He cried out to Jesus and the Spirit of God came in. And he contacted our team in the prison and said, I've given my life to Jesus. Can you help us? And for six months, the last six months of his sentence, he was just this amazing evangelist. And he started playing guitar. Even, he didn't even know his musical. He's got this amazing voice and this amazing musical gift. Starts writing these worship songs. He's the first employee that we employed in our first building business three years ago. He's virtually, I don't think he's, I think he's missed like one day off sick in the last three years after working for two weeks in his whole life. And he's an amazing evangelist who leads people to Jesus left, right and centre. And he's a foreman in our building team, amazing plasterer now and a role model. And he set up this, this uh, business in Withenshaw, um, growing organic food with all the scallies. So they've got like these domes in Withenshaw and they're growing, growing all this food and selling it to the market gardens. And it's just a beautiful thing. There's some things that only Jesus can do. You know that, don't you? But there's some people who need to hear the gospel. You know who they are? Everybody you've ever met. Not just the heroin addicts and the, and the people with personality disorders and the violent criminals, but everybody you've ever met. We had just built this, built, bought this building. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a 13 bedroom manse because when people, uh, former URC manse, and when people come out of prison, we provide them with a job, with a real salary find them with a home, loads of discipleship. And we've got a bunch of houses all around Manchester. But we've also just taken this big one for the most vulnerable, the people who need the extra support. And I mean, it's just a total miracle that we even got it. The police said, you're not having that building there once we put the deposit down. And you're like, we weren't going to get it back. The local, local council has all kicked off, said we don't want all these feral youths in our neighbourhood. The, I went to see Central Council virtually on my knees and the, the top lady at the counter said, just get your deposit back, Andy. We're not going to pass it. Guess what? It all got passed. And all the finances came in and we're now refurbishing this building and we're calling it the Oaks. We're calling it the Oaks because the vision of the Oaks is the vision of the church. Because in Isaiah 61, it goes on to say, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Instead of mourning a garment of praise, instead of a spirit of despair, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You know what you and me are meant to be? We're meant to be oaks of righteousness. We're meant to be a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And of course, God gets a lot of glory, doesn't he, through heroin addicts and violent criminals and and people who are amazingly healed from personality disorders. But you can be a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. As you get filled with the Spirit, as you move out in the power of the Spirit, as you get passionate about the things God's passionate about, you can be the oak of righteousness. And the beautiful thing about that picture is, an oak tree is filled with what? Acorns. <laughs> Acorns that are planted out. The reason heaven gets excited about one person who gets saved is because one person never gets saved. One person is planted at the centre of ever-expanding spheres of influence for good and for God's glory. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing, baptising people and saying, are you in? I'm in, fully in. 
dunk me, get me in there. I want drenching, I want filling. I don't want to put me tippy-tappy toe in. I don't want a bit of sprinkly-sprinkly on my head. Jesus, I'm in. I'm in fully in. All of me, drench me with your Holy Spirit so I can be the man or woman you want me to be. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just as we move towards the end of this service, we just say, God, come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us in this place. Fill us to overflowing. Let vision come. Let passion come. Lord, life is so short and eternity is so long. I pray for a fresh revelation of that. And if we've been wrapped up in cares and worries and riches and just choke what you wanted to do in our life, I pray you'll help us this morning to repent and go for it. Go for it with our whole heart. Tonight in this place, I want to do a, a full-on invitation for people who, who first time want to give their life to Christ. I don't know whether people will be here. I've been in meetings where I've preached the gospel and Jesus couldn't have got anyone saved. <laughs> you know, because there's nobody there who's not a Christian. But why don't you bring your friends along tonight? That would be a sign that you're moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you come back and invite some people and I'll just preach it and we'll see what happens. Is that all right? But just as we finish this service, I, I want to pray for you. If you long to know the power of the Holy Spirit, if you long to move out there into your community, your workplace, your family, maybe even if you've lost some of that zeal and some of that fire, I just want to pray for you that, that you'd have fresh anointing. I've got no magic powers, but God loves to say yes to this prayer. For Jesus said, if you ask for this good thing, as if he's going to give you a bad thing. We need the Holy Spirit. Without him, we're in a right mess, aren't we? We've got him, but some of us have got like this little deposit and he's getting us grinding our miserable way to heaven. Well, God wants to just fill us to overflowing and send us out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody want that? If you want that, just reach your arms out to God, would you? In this place, if you long for that. Oh, God, come. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. So aware we leak. So aware of doing stuff in our own strength and it just doesn't work. We now fall on your strength. We call on you, Jesus. In all humility, come and fill us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit. Send us out of this place to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord. More of you. More of you, Lord. Amen.